We're excited. Um, Pastor Don McClure is with us this morning. Man, I can't tell you what a, what a blessing Pastor Don has been in my life just over the years. I, I remember just coming into the ministry and going to pastor's conferences and retreats, and, and God would always use Don. With, he's, he's, he's got a very sharp knife. Cut the heart, man. And so we're excited that he's here with us this year. Would you give Pastor Don a warm welcome? Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Lord, for the opportunity to gather together today. Lord, as we've said, other issues and responsibilities or duties or activities or whatever else aside, Lord, we ask that now that we're here, that you administer to us. Lord, you take your word. And Lord, each one of us, Lord, help us afresh to see our desperation. Jesus, you once told the Pharisees, you measure yourselves by one another. And they could look at each other and feel, hey, I'm okay, you're okay. And yet, we were made to measure ourselves by you. And all of a sudden, nobody's okay. Lord, we desperately need you. We need you in our lives. We need you to just to be right with you, to be filled with your love and your spirit, to know our created identity. Lord, we need you to be the husbands and the fathers that we're not and yet long to be. Lord, I pray that each one of us today could just say, Lord, through these messages, and Lord, through the things that you have to share with us, with my coming up uh, to share, Lord, what's on his heart, Lord, that it would pierce each one of us as men, as Ray would share, as Poncho would share, through the worship, through the times of prayer and fellowship. Lord, you would do a mighty thing. So we just commit this time to you. We ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as I'm sure you're aware, we're going through a kind of a flyover is all it's going to be, a course of Corinthians. And today where we've been kind of assigned different chapters and then to take one aspect of it. And I was asked to speak on the wisdom of God in taking it out of First Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. So I'm going to begin reading at verse 18 of chapter 1. So if you'll turn there. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews require a sign. The Greeks uh, seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Here we have, you know, as Paul writes to us, and simply he, he, in this section here, he compares the wisdom of man compared to the wisdom of God. What man thinks is wise and what God says is wise. And, uh, and how, what different, how different they are, that man in his very wisest, is, is far weaker than God is his foolishness, as Paul says. Even the most foolish things of God are way beyond what we would think to be foolish, are way beyond the wisdom of the wisest of men. 
Now, to back up just a little bit to put this book into, into, into perspective, is that uh, before Paul actually came to, uh, to Corinth, and you know in his mission travels, perhaps, that he had been to Athens. And there as he had been to Athens, and that he had been at Mars Hill, and he had spoke there with the Athenians uh, there, and argued back and forth for the gospel there, and Mars Hill, where they had all of these images, all these gods and goddesses, all these that they worshipped. And then they were just filled with all of these potential gods. Whoever said was a god, well, then he must be. So they would erect a, an image for him, a statue for him. And then there was one of the unknown god, just in case they had missed one. And Paul says, well, let me tell you about the one that's obviously unknown to you. And there he debated with them the gospel. And now one of the things that you might know is that at both Athens and, uh, and Corinth, there were Greek cities. And the Greeks considered themselves highly intelligent. They were educated more than the other countries around them. And so in that sense, they, they, it was pretty unsurpassed in the, the, the rest of the cultures of the world around. And they, in the Greek culture, they had a lot of names of great fame in poet, poetry, in oratory, in art, science, philosophy. Uh, names that, are still, that, that, that still have lasted. Homer, Herodias, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Archimedes, Alexander... Uh, Euripides. I mean, these names, they were their brilliant. They were their philosophers. They were their leaders. They were the ones that really, the Greek society that, that identified them and who they were and how they worshipped and how what life was all about and defined the world for them. And all of the intelligentsia of the, of the world around seemed to gather around and these are the smart guys. These are the ones that tell us what life is all about where we came from, what we're here for, how to live, and their philosophies of life. And they're associated, uh, you know, with, with these men primarily. And, uh, and so here, that, and as I said, doubtless the Greeks were educated, you know, more than many of the other cultures around. Yeah, but here, sadly, though, what had happened is here in the church at Corinth, these Greek ideas and philosophies, you know, had, had penetrated into the church. And the church's thinking and the church approach it to life. How they even looked at each other, how they looked at leaders and who were the great and the smart. They almost had, here's the Greek culture over here within the church. They over there, well, we have Paul and we have Apollos and we have Barnabas and we have Peter and Cephas and whatever. And which are our philosophers almost. And they argued over who was the greatest, just like not only the smartest, but the greatest. And what were the greatest gifts? And what, I mean, the very same things that the world seemed to argue right down the line within the church. When you go through the things in, that are dealt with in, at the Corinth, it was without doubt the most troublesome, sinful, corrupt church. And simply what had happened is the philosophies, the attitude of the world, whether towards power, towards leadership, towards men, towards gifting, towards morality. They had penetrated the church Tremendously. And it was one huge defeated church in so many ways. But Paul's answer to all that, and that's what we're looking at in this section here. Paul's answer to the, there are all these philosophies was one simple, powerful thing where you could take every one of them, which he does throughout the book. And he says the answer is the same in every one of them. It's simply the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. Paul's answer to all these brilliant philosophers, these brilliant philosophies, was simply the cross. And here he, essentially, before he gets into it, though, he says, all these other philosophies, all these other leaders, all these others that you're looking at, he says, you've got to realize they are all natural. 
At the very best, on their finest of days, their most brilliant of days, their wisest of days, their most intelligent of days, they're still the natural man. And the natural man, he just makes a blanket statement. The natural mind cannot understand the intelligence or the brilliance or the simplicity or the power of the cross. It's another world to it. It can't understand it, it can't grasp it. And the cross is contrary to man's humanistic ideals. He says, here's these categories. If you're going to approach God through the natural mind, through man's mind, you're going to have trouble. You have to approach God through God's mind, not yours. It isn't what I think about him. It's what he says about himself. And if you can't start with that, you'll get nowhere. Because now you're just left to human thinking. And if you are, may as well go with all these smart guys. They were smart men. They were articulate. They were gifted orators. And they were very persuasive. But here, the fact here that Paul, first of all, he just begins making kind of a statement, a declaration. Uh, in verse 18, that the preaching of the cross was, was basically simply, utterly, actually foolishness to those who perish. Here are all these over here in this world over there. They actually, not only, I mean, with all that, they look at each other. Oh, you're smart, you're smart, you're smart. They could all pat each other on the back. They could all accept and admire one another, even though they didn't agree with each other. Because they're all still natural mind. They're natural men. But then they would look over here at the supernatural world, or they would look at the cross, and, they, and, and all of them could, would agree on one thing. <laughs> hey, this over here is foolishness. The word foolishness in the Greek is a word uh, moriah. It's only used here in this epistle in the New Testament. But the word there, it's, it means they're uh, simply stupid or silly. They actually, the over here, these intelligent ones, they looked over at the cross and they just said, it's stupid. It is just silliness. It is absolute nonsense. Oh, they, they, our stuff is smart. We're intelligent. We're sharp. But the cross is silly. It is stupid. It had been put down as a, as a just a, not a thinker's world. Smart people don't, you know, don't think that. You know, I mean, it's in, and of course, that's that's that has continued on all the way through. <laughs> I heard a quote of Ben Carson, uh, who's running for president, who somebody accused him and made a statement to him, say, how in the world, you know, could you, you know, believe, you know, uh, in God? You know, that's moronic, you know, and Ben Carson said, well, I know that you believe we came from monkeys. I believe I came from God. And your statement inclines me to believe that that's probably where you came from. And, uh, but, uh, but it's something where they had, there's something that the intelligent community over there has always looked over. Anybody who even starts off thinking there's a God, immediately he's moronic. He's silly. He's stupid. You're not a thinker. And that is still prevails in society. You look at, you know, I mean, and what troubles the intelligent is when they've got a man who is, you know, believed to be the greatest you know, pediatric neurosurgeon in the world. That troubles them when the man is so brilliant. You don't want to debate him. You don't want to discuss him. So you just stand outside and call him silly. And, uh, and that's the tragic thing that has happened. But in, in Paul's days, there was also an added stigma, essentially, to the cross itself. When Paul just uses the word cross, and he said, I came to know nothing but the cross. He blatantly, strongly uses that word uh, there because the other thing that that immediately, not only they thought you, you were silly, they thought you were stupid. They thought you were, you know, uninformed. 
But then as you would use the word cross, the stigma of that is the cross was gallows. The cross was the equivalent to the electric chair. It said, and it was slaves, people of the lowest types of criminals, uh, the, the biggest of rebels, the greatest enemies that wanted to be publicly, you know, rebuked for their terrible sins or corruption. They were put to death by, by crucifixion. It was the most shame that they could put upon a human being to kill him. Not just simply, we want to kill you. We want to shame you in the process of it. And now to attach, now this thinking over here of Christianity which already we're saying is silly, silly and stupid and non-informed. Now we also want to add to it the fact that it's something that you keep using this word, the cross, and you're preaching the electric chair. You know, you're preaching there this thing of just shame. How ridiculous, you know, to, to do that and to attach that to what it is that you believe. You see, the Greeks, they had filled Mount Olympus with all their gods and goddesses. And essentially, when you would go through and study the Greek gods and goddesses, when you would go there and, and look at them, basically all that there were is their gods were simply man at their most corrupt. That's all any of them were. They were made in the likeness of men and always corrupt men. There was whether the gods and goddesses of sex, of memorality, of pleasure, of power, of wealth, of, uh, you know, of, of money, of, uh, of success. They took everything and they, and they deified the things that you would want to do naturally into a, into a religious activity, into something there to bring it about, you know, uh, uh, the worship of it. So you, you, that's, you want to worship, you know, these things. You know, the natural man looks there and says, I love sex. The natural man says, I love power. The natural, you know, I love pleasure. I love wealth. I love, you know, lording my life over others, being supreme. Their, their gods and goddesses were the Herculean things, the people that come in and just take over and run and do, and, and they abused women, and they abused pleasure, they abused anything. They were gods and goddesses of drink and alcohol and all sorts of, you know, these, these things, and they just deified them. That's what they all, all were. And it was something there that is, uh, that, that's what, what they took pleasure in. And somebody there that with, with those gods you indulged yourself in the worship of them in your own passions, in your own pleasures, in your own desires that you already naturally had. It was natural to think this way. You know, the, I already have these things within me. What is the highest form of them? So they made these beautiful statues, temples, and went in and worshiped like Diana or Aphrodite, and here they would go in and temples that boasted of having a thousand prostitutes as you worshiped yourself in pleasure and, and, and in sexual uh, gratification. And, uh, and this, was, this was contemporary worship. And so it, when, when then you take this over here and Paul is looking here at the foolishness of the gospel, something there that you think is so silly, you know, there, you know, uh, that... Uh, and that God, you know, would come into the world as a man. Now, that wasn't an entirely unacceptable thought, you know, to the Greeks that, that, uh, that God could become a man. But what was repulsive to them was the thought that God would actually willfully be born into a dirty stable, raised in poverty, live in obscurity, spend his life going around doing good with no thought or reward, living in humility, Spend, you know, accepting all sorts of, of, of insults, living with constant accusations that were false, 
And then finally, completely, totally submitting to the unspeakable, pathetic torment of death by crucifixion. Now that was nonsense. He said, there is no way in the world, you know, that anybody could possibly do a thing like that. And the Greeks just looked at Christianity and they said, this is absurd. This is silly. It is who in the world would want to worship somebody that does that? Who would ever will themselves? I, they over here, they, they go to Mount Olympus. They look at their gods. They look at their pleasures. They look at their temples of man at his highest pleasure. And then they look over here in contrast to that at Christianity and, and its leader, who he was, how he was born, how he lived, what he said, how his life accumulating nothing, living, never living for pleasure or comfort himself, absolute humility, living in obscurity, going from dawn to dust, day after day, exhausted, helping people. How absurd. And then ultimately now bowing to being crucified on a cross in an electric chair. You know, that's your reward for it. No, thanks. And of course, that's not changed. That is still just the same today. Most all of our educational you know, institutions, they are completely in, in, enamored with all sorts of humanistic philosophy. The, they're interested in humanism, not holiness. They're interested in worshiping intelligence, not the cross. You won't find anybody looking over it. I mean, the Christian institutions, as is, is well as they, as they may be doing in some places, as is, is, is intellectual and as sharp as they may be, at the same time, all to the Ivy League you know, schools there, they're absolutely absurd. Even though the Ivy League schools like Yale and Harvard were started as Christian seminaries to preach the gospel. They have gone so far that now they reject absolutely virtually everything of the gospel itself. And so it's, it, you know, and today it's tragically, sadly, with the, with the horrendous hopelessness that the world is in right now, we're still doing the same thing. We are turning to the gods of science, technology, engineering, sociology, psychology, philosophy, education, business, politics, government programs, and so forth. That's what man needs. There's no, there's no voice around the world saying that anything is different from Corinth. There's just over here these nonsensical, silly Christians that are trying to say this is what the world needs. And yet all of the intelligentsia of the rest of the world says it is something else. And even though many of them, in order to get in office, needing the foolish, silly Christians vote, uh, but at the same time, so they will, they will hold a Bible. They will say, I am a Christian. But at the same time, their gods are the, the, the same as everyone else's. And sadly, it never occurs to him. Never ever really seems in this whole group that is still with us, as ever, it never occurs to them, maybe the cross is the answer. Because interesting, when you go through history, it's always been the cross and only been the cross that has truly changed people. It's only been changed people that have transformed the world. Right now, you and I are sitting in a building you walk into and you just and relax. You drive down the street. You expect laws out there, people to honor you know, signals uh, out there. You, a society where you expect a certain amount of protection. There is a government. There is a structure. There, there is right. There is wrong. There is a certain sense of justice that is unknown in much of the rest of the world. And basically, our forefathers you know, had the you know, incredible Christian people 
the foundational of, 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 of the fathers who wrote and signed the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, were either, either pastors or full-on godly men. At the very least, they were deists who believed deeply in God, in the righteousness and the standards of God, and wanted justice. And we have inherited that. Now, we're destroying it all. We are literally wanting to take all their names off of everything, remove them, and, and are worshiping now. Ever since we took away prayer out of the schools, we took out you know, any sense of morality. There's no, now today, by the way, you, how many men here think you're a man? Well, that's good. Not as many as I was hoping would raise their hands, but anyway... <laughs> But I mean, we're living today, you don't even know what you are. There's actually counties in the United States where they leave open what your sex is. Literally, you're saying, that's for the child as is going to determine that. You don't, just because it happens to have a piece of equipment that suggests that's a male, wait a minute, hold it. You know, we don't know that yet. It's a free world. He's got to pick out himself who he's going to be, or she, or it, you know, or something. And I mean, you look at this, and, and, and they call us silly. They look at you Christians You say, you're silly because we say a man is a man. We have this, this little DNA thing and uh, it's something there that describes, oh, that's a boy. He's got a stem on him, you know, or something. <laughs> no stem, girl. Stem, boy. <laughs> you silly man. That's what's kept us, you know, from really advancing into the world. I mean, you look at, I mean, these are in our government. Our, you know, our, our, throughout, the, throughout our government is sitting there and courting all of this. You want to be, be you know, now you, 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 you want to be homosexual, bisexual, trisexual, quadro, dog sexual. I don't know, but whatever it is, who, where do you ever draw a line when there is no line any longer? When there is nothing right or wrong anymore? And yet the, when you look there and realize the society that is based upon things, because it has been Christianity that is taking people from, from hopelessness to hopefulness, taking us from drugs and, and, and alcohol-addicted men and cleans them up and makes immoral men moral, means, you know, violent men peaceful, angry people joyful, you know, non-productive people productive, loving or unloving and uncaring people loving and uncaring. People that destroyed a family can now go back and heal a family. And this is where the track record of it all is. And Paul, he, he declares, you know, there, you know, there, that, that, uh, that this truth. And, but then he, he introduces to us in verse 19, something there of God's, you know, wisdom in quotation. He's in verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And I will bring to nothing the understanding, uh, you know, of the prudent. Now, that, that verse actually comes out of Isaiah, and it's, and it's quoted from Isaiah at a time when uh, Assyria, a, a world superpower, at the time was embarking on a course of expansion of its own borders. And there, little Judah lying to the south of it, there in its path. Uh, there, uh, you know, Isaiah is telling the, the, them to, to trust in the Lord, to turn to him, trust in God. But the king's counselors were advising him alliance with, with Egypt. Go up there and just join him, get along with him, whatever Egypt wants to say and do and be. Let's just save ourselves by just melting ourselves into them. That's how we're going to survive. And, uh, you know, this and just become Egyptian, just become an extension. of We fight him, we're done. That's what the king's counselors were saying. And yet Isaiah is telling them, no, you can't do that. You've got to stand. God will deliver you. You've got to trust in him. But then when they went and they followed, instead they, uh, 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 
the, the counseling of the politicians. Then Isaiah declares, I will destroy God, God's word. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Well, Sennacherib did come down, though they supposedly tried to get along. He rolled south and soon Judah was overrun and Jerusalem was besieged. And God turned the counsel of these quote-unquote clever politicians into foolishness. And Judah, he was brought to their knees to the point to where they had no place to turn but God. And here Paul is saying, what happens when somebody lives under this world? And with these philosophers and these attitudes, and you just go along with the political world, you go along with the Stoics, you go along with the brilliant, you go along with all these smart people. Because why have a right, you know, just survive, get along, all right, we're negotiating our principles, we don't like this, all right, it's in our schools, all right, it's in the neighborhood, all right, you have to hire these people, all right, you got to get along with this, you just live, just survive, don't make any waves. Here Paul, you know, Isaiah and Paul quotes him saying, that's your own destruction. You want to live by that just to melt into it, you will, you will, you will melt away with it. But rather than that, he says, he will destroy the wisdom of the wise and, uh, and down it will fall. And that's what we're watching happen in our country today. We are just negotiating away everything with every power, with, with, with Islam, with Russia, philosophy as a country. Now we are so fearful in the politicians and the counselors are just saying, get along with the world. All right, we're going down, but we'll go down slower if we get along than if we make noise. And we, may, and we start saying, we have some principles that disagree with you, that we're willing to fight for. And now whether you're looking at ultimately world-wise or you're looking individually at you and me as a person, who we are, the same thing is true. Because here Paul now, he applies this quotation of Israel and, and, and Assyria. There in this incident now with the gospel, and it isn't until each one of us also, just like Israel, had to come to an end of itself. That we come to the end of ourselves, that it had to come to the end of its own ideas, and, uh, and, and we have to come to the end of our own ideas. The it had to come to the end of its own philosophies, of its own corruption, of its own self-will. We've got to come to the end of ourselves. And then when finally that happens, God can turn, can turn us in because then we can finally make a transition from this world to his world, the eternal world, the real world. And here... Paul, he then turns around and he asks him, he says, where are the scholars? Where are the scribes? Where are the skeptics? Come on, you fellas, st stand up. Come out here and let's debate this, you know, on it. And he said, here, Paul, Paul was one guy, you know, you, you didn't mind calling him silly, stupid, ignorant, babbler, but you don't debate him. You do not debate him. It's like Ben Carson. You call him anything you want to from across the country, just don't get locked in a room with him. And you know, sort of, I've been in with him. <laughs> you don't want to do that, you know, with it, because when you see somebody there that actually knows who they are and what they believe and how and why they believe it, and when somebody there, you know, Paul, he knew the mighty transforming power of the gospel. He knew how mighty it was, how divine it was, how logical it was, how intelligent it was. Even what you call the foolishness of God, it is far smarter than man in his own brilliance, is what he is saying. Because it's rooted in the, in the omnipotence of God. It's rooted in the knowledge of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That way back to even before God said, let there be light. Before he even, you know, did one work of creation, he already, Paul says, the mystery of iniquity, he knew it. 
You could see already ahead, and he had planned a way that men, when they would fall and they would turn and they would sin, and they would go over here to their own intelligentsia, their own way of living, their own way of thinking, their own design and desire of life. They would create their own because they were going to walk away from his. And when they walked away from his, he already created a way that you could come back to his when you came to the end of your own philosophy. When your own wisdom, your own self-willed, your own intelligentsia failed you. He already loved man so much, knowing he would do this. He knew the mystery of iniquity, but he knew a way that he could bring him back. And here he looks there with the omniscient genius of God, the omniscient incredible love and power and majesty, the logic behind the, the cross. It's infinite. It's infallible. It's indisputable. And Paul says, where is the wisdom of this world. Where is it? Show me your wisdom. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And then he comes after human reason, human you know, thinking, human philosophy, and, uh, and human religion. And you know something that, that when, you, when you look at it, and, and, and today when you would look around at religion in the world, right now basically the world religiously is made up Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and various forms of Christianity. But when you would look at these things very simply, first of all, Buddhism, just analyze that for a moment. It was founded in 483 BC uh, by Buddha. The word Buddha means awakened. And uh, it was a name that a man named Sadihara gave to himself. He was the son of a Nepalese uh, 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 Raja. And, uh, but according to, to tradition, he left a life of luxury at 30 years old, decided to devote himself to a life of contemplation, self-denial, and finally, he reached an age of enlightenment while he was sitting under a tree contemplating, and henceforth he was enlightened. He became Buddha, the enlightened one. And he had four teachings, essentially, of Buddhism that were the, the central corners of it. And that was, he reflects back that when he was 13 years old, living in this wealth, he was taken outside of the, the uh, 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 you know, of this home that he had out into the public, and he f- saw four things. As that he, when, when he went out, he, he saw an old crippled man, a diseased man, a decaying corpse, and an aesthetic. And he saw there, he realized that in the world there are four things. There's death, disease, age, and pain. And he basically said there that there is a cause for pain. Why do we hurt? Where do we get pain from? Well, pain comes from a desire. We attach ourselves to a desire. And to the degree we're attached to a desire, we can experience pain. Maybe, for example, you desire a Rolls Royce. And you actually got one this week. And it's sitting out there in the parking lot right now. But while we're sitting here, somebody just came and stole your Rolls Royce. And now you are in pain. Because you attached yourself to something there that could be taken away from you. But if you just simply, I don't care about cars. I don't care about clothes. I don't care about jewelry. I don't care about houses. Because we, we, we experience pain because we attach ourselves to something that can be taken away. And so the best thing to do with a good Buddhist is don't get attached to anything. And also there, but there is the way out of suffering is to eliminate, therefore, the attachment to desire. And so I have to detach myself, go off, remove myself away from everything where there could potentially be desire, you know, with it. 
And, and then I have to, now I have to take myself away from it. Then the whole thing is to hopefully set up a society and a culture where we eliminate it. In other words, every, we just get, we, won't, we, we don't want anybody to have Rolls Royces. We don't want anybody to have fancy stuff or that or whatever else, even though the interesting thing a lot of these guys do, but, uh, but they aren't attached to it. They were just asked to live in it because they're good at it or something. But at any rate, but, the, but ultimately, that's Buddhism put in a nutshell. And there are hundreds of millions of people. That is how they are going to get enlightened or reach you know, nirvana, the height. Hinduism is something started in 6,000 B.C. It's a very diverse body. It's very hard because it's been broken down into so many cultural practices. It's predominantly in, in, in India, but it believes primarily you know, in, in reincarnation, a supreme being in many, many different forms. But it's also rooted in man getting up and working his way up in a desire for liberation, getting away from earthly ills. Islam, find it, founded in 480 or 643 by Muhammad, uh, born in, in Mecca, which is now Saudi Arabia. And he's known as it. But essentially, he's the central figure of it, born in about uh, 570. Uh, and, uh, but after a successful merchant uh, uh, time in his life, he turned to contemplating life when he was 40. And supposedly, the angel Gabriel uh, revealed himself to him and told him that he was to become the messenger of God. There's many others before. They're allowed. They're okay. But now he becomes the messenger. And while these others can be in the background, anything that he says prevails over anything they have said previously. So in other words, he is the messenger of God. And uh, he's the ultimate prophet of God. And, uh, uh, but you, you, can, you know enough about them. But essentially, this is where, just in that group right there, the, you know, more than uh, close to two-thirds to three-quarters of the world is in it. That's their religion. That's what they believe. And their religion, it calls for feasts and fasts and pilgrimages and penance. And once, a year, once in your lifetime, you've got to do this. And three times you've got to do that and all these other things. It's, it's suffering. It's, there's rules. There's rituals. It's all emphasized on works. And it is something there that essentially what separates Christianity. Because people look at Christianity... Even Christians oftentimes say, well, why are we the only way? And the rest of the world looks say, well, you arrogant, you arrogant, arrogant people. You actually, with all these sincere people, religious people, committed people, pour their life, give their life out on the line, do these things with such sincerity and dedication. You are actually looking at them and you are telling all of them, you're lost and we alone have the truth. We alone, how arrogant can you possibly be? Why you to say that all other religions are wrong and your religion is right? Well, first of all, go back to the word religion. English comes from Latin. The Latin word for religion is regare, relingare. It means to relink or to rebind, to bind together. And here the word religion actually admits there's a missing link between man and God, by definition. And that's what all of them are saying. There's a missing link. The difference between Christianity and all the other, all of the others, is all the other is man-driven. You do it. Your philosophy, your effort, your intelligence, your works, your dedication, your payment, you put in, you put in, you think, you do, you say, you commit, you do something, and somehow or another, in the final analysis, the linking will be done and you and God will be one. Christianity is the only, only religion in the world that where God says, you're too bad to be true. You can't link anything. 
You can't fix anything. The wage of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. I will give it to I will relink you. I will die for you. I will forgive you. I will raise you from the dead. I will bring you home. I will conform you to my image. I will share my heaven with you. I will do it all because I love you. I do it. It's the only one. And so essentially, there's only two religions in the world. That which man says and that which God says. And because man has made a man into uh, you know, hundreds of different you know, dimensions of it, it's, still the, the simple thing is, is that God looks at man and says, I love you. And here Paul says, that's the foolishness of the cross. Where Jesus Christ took my place. He came into my, my, my dingy, dirty, you know, manger, you know, world. He walked around there in obscurity. He lived a life there of humility and of service. He, was, he made himself of, no, of nothing. And, and there he just lived. And there he went and he took my execution. That I who sinned against God, I who turned against God, deserved to be brutally executed. I deserve to be in an electric chair. I deserve to be put away. I was created in the image of God and I sinned. I said, no, thank you. I will run my own life. I will set up my own way of thinking. I don't need any of your help. I don't need your assistance. I don't even know if you made me. I don't really care. I'll make myself from now on. And as soon as you've done that, you've made your own religion. <laughs> and you've made your own God. Perhaps we've all heard of the self-made man who worshipped his creator. That's what we all do. We worship ourselves. And either today we sit here, we worship ourselves. Or we worship Jesus Christ. There is something in us. And, and to the degree that, that, that on one hand, sadly, we all came into the world worshiping ourselves. Every one of us. Every one of us. Absolute self-worth. That's all there was. Well, I have 10 grandchildren, four, three children. And uh, my, my grandchildren run from 23 years old to one year old. The one year old just turned one last Saturday. And, uh, but I'll tell you, she is the cutest thing. She's absolute doll. But I will also tell you, she is the most selfish human being I've been around along that. <laughs> I mean, absolutely selfish. Self-worship. As well as you, 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 I've never seen a baby come into the world, never even heard of one there, that after just much, there's mother's nine-month gestation, in the process there is a mother just delivered a watermelon, you know, there, uh, bringing this child into the world. I've never seen one of them and ever for a moment thought, you know something? My dear mother that just produced me has just been through hell on earth, and I did it. I'm going to let her rest for a few days. I'm not going to cry. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to be quiet. Let her recover until on her timing, she now begins to want. Never seen that. No, no. Immediately, they just start crying, screaming. And they don't even know what they're screaming. They don't care what they're screaming. All I know is I'm not happy. I don't know why I'm not happy. So I will scream until you figure it out. So you come in here and burp me, change me, sing to me, change me, you know, you know uh, give me a bath, feed me, uh, you know, walk around with me, bounce me around, just go through a checklist and when you hit the right one, I'll let you know. <laughs> and as soon as anything changes, I will let you know immediately again. And I expect 24 hours a day, seven day a week, <coughs> absolute attention. 
absolute attention at my beck and call. You will come and you will do whatever it is I want. And I will make you regret it if you don't. <laughs> That's how all of us came into the world. I, me, my, myself, nobody, else. that's our philosophy. Totally Greek. We worshiped ourselves. We worshiped pleasure. We worshiped food. We worshiped comfort. We worshiped whatever it was that made us feel good. And then if we stay in that mode, we will deify it. We will write philosophies around it. We will make intelligence about it. We will write poetry about it. We will paint artwork about it. And our whole world will be entrenched in it. And we will live for ourselves Until, and, and sadly, every one of us are still in that battle. That, you know, we come into the world, the Bible says that we are condemned. We're utterly condemned. Then when Christ died for us, we get justified. It's an it's a, it's a accounting term, a legal term uh, there that, say that your sins are forgiven. They're blotted out. Uh, the, 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 the penalty is removed. I'm accepted in the eyes of beloved. I'm adopted into his family. I'm his child, but I still may not be living right. I'm still not surrendered fully. Sanctification is now the process of sanctification where my life is surrendered over to the throne of Christ. I'm saying, take over, drive out these other philosophies. The I, me, my, myself, I want to surrender. I don't want to live under my own advice, my own counsel. I don't want to be a Sennacherib. I don't want or give away to him. I want the counsel of God. I want to live. For his glory. That's sanctification, but there's still I, me, my, myself, and us every day. We all wake up this morning. How do I feel? Like if you were here last night and listened to Poncho. He says how he wakes up in the morning and he's, and he's grumpy or whatever else it is. Any of you ever wake up grumpy? <laughs> I used to. Uh, now I just let her sleep, but I, I, I changed them. <laughs> But the point is that we all wake up with self and hopefully though we get in a place in the word and we get in fellowship and see Jesus take over, that is sanctification. But even then Paul says, but I press on toward the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I have not arrived. I still have this constant battle between my own philosophy, my own will, my own glory, my own pleasure, my own comfort and being driven after it and surrendering to the absolute throne. The ultimate thing is glorification, which happens when finally I'll awaken his likeness. He will take away the world, the flesh, and the devil. I will be in his place. There'll be no one to tempt me, nothing to tempt me with. I, you know, I will just, I'll have him fully. I won't have to worry. You know, I, right now, you know, you can walk in the spirit, get filled with the spirit, but I know tomorrow I'll wake in the flesh. I can have a great time. I can surrender my life and have God do an amazing thing, but the battle will go on. But to one day think the battle will be no more. I will awaken his likeness never to be tempted again. There won't be any carnal nature within me ever to be tempted, you know, uh, inside by. And there won't be anything to tempt me with. No tempter, no nothing to, to, to attract me with and nothing inside to be attracted toward. All three will be gone. But until then, the battle of philosophies go on. And today we, we can look and say, Jesus, you are my philosophy. You are my savior. You're brilliant. You're absolutely, incredibly, wonderfully brilliant. And just to read to you and then we'll close. Verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many nobler called. 
But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And in these things which are not, and and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But in him are you, of him are you in Christ Jesus, who because for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And men, this morning, on one hand, when we're still, the world looks, you know, at us. And here Paul says there that God has, you know, chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. He's used the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. That God just looks when I'm willing just to be a fool for Christ. To go out, I don't have to try to be intelligent to the world. I don't have to sit there and say I'm smarter than you and play your game and try to erect another, you know, you know, philosophy. I just sit there and say, you know something? The love of God is foolish to the world. Forgiveness is foolish to the world. It's absolutely foolish to have somebody there that would, that would turn from you, rebel from you, steal from you, do everything you know, terrible to you, wicked to you, corrupt to you, turn and live by an entirely different value system be wicked and corrupt and immoral and a murderer and a thief and a liar. And, and it, it, the world can't understand how then you can come right back to the very person you've done that to and say, would you forgive me? And to have him run to you and embrace you and say, yes, I forgive you. The world says that's foolish. You earn your way. And as we close today, maybe some of you, maybe, maybe there's, say, I, I get it. I get it. I'm that baby. (laughs) I still think that way. I want to be forgiven. The foolishness of the gospel is the wisdom of God. The simplicity of it. How simple. That God just simply says, I miss you and I love you and I forgive you. I want you home. I can fix you. You let me and I will little by little, I will take this system of thought, gone, I will replace it with the glory of God in your life. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that maybe some of us, we even came in here, maybe some of us, we don't know you at all. We've never really opened our heart to you. Maybe others of us, we've kind of thought, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't know. I know ultimately I kind of believe it, but I haven't surrendered like this. I'm still living under a lot of my own philosophy. I'm still a lot of Greek in me, a lot more than you. Lord, maybe some of us, we also aren't even truly convinced. We thought, well, who are we to say we're the only religion? You're the only Savior. Everybody else is their own. And if we want to be our own Savior, then I guess we'll go on. But if today we would look and realize, how am I doing at it? Realize I don't feel saved. I'm not doing it well. But Jesus, we'd look to you and say, would you be that? You did it really, really well. You went to the electric chair for me. You did it for me. I get it. And even while we're praying, if there's any of you today, that you, 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 you want to know that you know that you know him. I want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand up and down? Say, I want Christ in my life. I don't know for sure that I, I've given it to him. I want to now. God bless you. Any others? Just put your hand up and down. I just want to pray for you. 
God bless you. Any others? God bless you over here. God bless you. Any others? Just give you another moment. Realize I want to know. I get it. God bless you. I, 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 the foolishness of the gospel, the love of God, I get it. I, I want it. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for each man, every man here. I pray that you would adjust accordingly to our need, all of our philosophy today, that we would want to be fools for Christ, realizing it's the wisest way to live. And Jesus, particularly for those that are opening their heart, I just pray the simplicity right now. There isn't anything they can do to save themselves. We've made that clear. All the effort, all the struggle, all the promises, all we can do is rest on the promises where you said, I died for you and I love you. And if you believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. Lord, I pray that right now they could just open their heart and say, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, the brilliance of all eternity, come into my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I want to follow you. Lord, help every one of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. I'm sure there's going to be opportunities through the day. And, uh, oh.